0: Welcome to the Teach SEL Podcast, where we inform teachers to transform students. Listen as we talk with educators, researchers, and experts in the field of social and emotional learning for our first ever series on SEL. Now, here's your host, Jenna Niemeyer. (music) On today's episode of the Get Schooled podcast, we are speaking with Donna Romack, an expert on SEL and education, and the Director of Pediatric Cancer Educational Outreach, and Patient, Family, and Community Engagement at Riley Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thank you for being with us and sharing your expertise, Donna. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So what's your educational background and your experiences in the realm of education? I went to Youngstown State
1: University and received a bachelor's in education and taught for Just a year before our family moved to Southeast Asia. There, I worked in a preschool for a while, uh, helping to set up that preschool. Became more and more interested in getting back into teaching. It had been about seven years since I had taught. And I started teaching in international schools in Southeast Asia. And that was quite an interesting experience. And then I realized, I'd like more education myself. So when we would be home for furlough, I started taking classes at IU to get my uh, master's in education. And went back and forth between Asia and Indiana and finally completed my master's and had wonderful experience teaching in international schools in Singapore, Cambodia, the Philippines. Yeah, those three. Wow. Yeah, and, and then able to travel in nearby countries So we spent about 20 years In Southeast Asia
0: That's amazing mm-hmm. So lots of traveling And then So you'd be on furlough For how long at a time? About two months Okay so you take classes For like that two month span And yeah. then
1: Or sometimes What we what I started to do When I was really interested In trying to finish up We would come home And I'd take summer classes So oh, our two okay. months Ended up being in the summer So I yes. could grab That's Summer perfect. courses I know Wow,
0: That's it so cool well. So you worked for a while From how I understand You worked in administration and then for a while. Right. Um, I had some interesting experiences
1: overseas, just not, not only teaching in international schools and cross-culturally and working with peers who were from different countries and working with international curriculum, but also teaching children who were international mm-hmm. and having a classroom where I could have 15 to 20 kids from different nationalities mm-hmm. and some who couldn't speak English Uh, to begin with. And so it was a really wonderful experience trying to integrate social emotional, I don't, I don't, I want to, I don't want to call it curriculum at that point, but an emphasis on it because I saw where when you have a classroom of children who come from all over the world into a nation that is not their own, this bond can form. And I really worked on making that bond form through social emotional activities that we did in class uh, together. And we built community and just what they shared and when they would have to leave the country, their parents were moving somewhere else because it was also a transient community. These kids. would come and go, which made it really hard mm-hmm. for all of us yeah. as we would meet friends, get to know them deeply,
0: experience things, have collective memories together, and then they would go off. Yeah. And How often would you say that you would have like that transfer in students? Was it pretty frequent? Oh, yes. We'd have
1: new students come in and some children leave. And what was interesting too, some of the kids who were leaving, sometimes their parents just wanted to take them out of school and never show up again.
0: Yeah, they would just <laughs> take them out like on a Friday Mm -hmm. and move and never bring closure. Yeah. I was going to say that would make it really hard. I think not only for you as the teacher, but then for the other students in the classroom who had become close to them too. I'm sure that was just awful from a social emotional standpoint.
1: It was very difficult, but I started,
0: I was able to catch these parents when I
1: got wind, like the children would say, oh, we're going to be moving. I would say, when? And (laughs) and I would call their parents and their parents started to share. They said, we don't want to make it too difficult on our kids. We think that if we just, they just go to school on Friday and we don't, go back that it's easier for them. And I said, actually, it's not. I said, they don't have any way to bring closure to say goodbye to friends that they've had, that they've built memories with, that they've had deep relationships with. And I said, I've seen these develop. And so I think it's good that you bring them and we celebrate them. And so I started a tradition as I was working in these international schools overseas called uh, a word and a wish. And the word was a word of affirmation. So all the kids in the classroom, including myself, we would... come up with a word that we felt described this person that was leaving you know our friend and it was amazing every child had a different word to describe yes and it wasn't just oh they're nice or oh they're funny no these kids thought carefully and deeply about a word that they felt described mm-hmm. that yeah. individual. And then we gave our, our word and we wrote it down. And then we, every one of us gave a wish for them. It was usually wow. that just that you were so friendly to us and we wish that you will have many friends wow. where you go. I felt it was a practice that you send them out feeling good about who they are yes. and what they've meant to this group of people that they're yes. leaving behind. I think the confidence that builds, mm-hmm. who we spoke, you know, we spoke to them about what we saw in their character and their personality and you know, their work ethic and their, their relationships. And we send them out with that And that has to, I just think, benefit an
0: individual like we can't even. Oh, I was thinking as you're talking about that, I'm just like, that seems so powerful for those students. I can't imagine how, you know, obviously, anytime you move, no matter what age you are, you're a little nervous about what's coming next. So I think for kids that are, you know, elementary, middle school, high school age, even, that has to feel so remarkable to know that you made an impact no matter how small where you were. And knowing that where you're going next, you'll probably do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And you know, it's interesting because the parents, we invited the family to come to observe and to witness what was being said about their child. Because, you know, we can write it down, but when they see, hear speaking to their child. Absolutely. And the parents would just break down. And they just said, this was so beautiful. We never thought, we're so glad our child didn't miss this moment of their lives and we see how this is going to benefit them in the future as they go on. So that was something I learned even before I was learning about, quote, social-emotional curriculum or practice in the classroom. It just came out of being in that situation where you see where children are coming from and what they need, and mm-hmm. then you build community.
0: And yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the way to do it. Amazing. So we kind of talked about, you know, your trail through... The- educational realm, but what are you doing
1: now? Okay. It's a it's a relatively new position here. And I was hired by the, the section chief of hematology oncology in IU School of Medicine. And so she wanted to really build a survivorship program. Lots of times, typically when we think of cancer survivors, we look at the five-year mark. And in five years, how, how is this person doing, whether they're Mm -hmm. five years old or whether they're 25 years old. And so I started to go to the survivor clinic and meet with these folks, whether they were five or 25 Mm -hmm. or anywhere in between and find out how they were doing outside of the hospital right. visits. You know, how, how what were they doing academically? How were their relationships at school? How did they feel their emotions were? How were, you know, their family dynamics? How did they see themselves as a student? Were they confident? Were they comfortable? And what I found out, what I started to realize was, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't catch them at five years out. I wish I would have caught them right when treatment was yeah. over, right when they were thrust back into a school situation or... They were transitioning back and forth mm-hmm. to school and hospital, and they were having all of these different experiences and and even wondering about themselves, how can I do this, or what does everybody think of me, or can't remember things anymore, I can't organize, I'm people talk too fast, I can't process everything that they're yeah. saying, I feel like I can't talk to people, people are bullying me, uh, they're making fun of me because I have no hair. Or, it was just a number of different scenarios that I heard. And so I, I began to talk to the providers, the doctors and the nurses and the parents and the children saying, here's what I'm hearing. Can we not start meeting with these kids Mm -hmm. earlier? And then we had two teachers from the school program here at Riley who moved into outpatient. So they're seeing kids who are still on treatment, not yet off. And then when they go off treatment, they hand them on. That's the word we like to use, hand them on, rather than hand them off and we hand them on. Think of a child in their hands giving them to me, And so so that we can watch their progression and give them supports where they need it, whether it's a 504 or an IEP Mm -hmm. or an updated 504 or an updated IEP or now they're moving into university and they don't know how to make the phone call to the student disability office or they're not going to go to university because they feel like you know maybe they can't do it Mm -hmm. because they're not organized and they don't plan very well and all of these things I started saying yeah you can you can do this. It is hard work, but you can do this. And so just listening to the children, the survivors, and figuring out what individual plan works best for them. So it is, it's still in process. Do I have anything written down? Like, okay, here's what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have kind of a general outline. Yeah. But
0: it's so individualized. Yeah, and I was gonna say that I'm sure every situation, every child is different. It so is. there's not like you can have one roadmap, you need to have several different routes in right. mind. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. So I'm learning, constantly learning, which is and learning yeah. mostly from kids themselves. And what a cool way to learn. Because yeah. kids have so much to teach us.
1: Yeah. They do. And if if we will listen mm-hmm.
0: to them. Yeah. It's, and it's putting
1: it's putting aside assumptions. It's putting aside what I think I know Mm -hmm. about them and really listening to that human being sitting with me in a room and just taking them in. And then anytime when we do that as educators or parents, we hear the life of the child come out. We can see how they're really feeling if we'll stop and take note, you know, and listen.
0: So thinking about, you know, all these wonderful things you just said about we're listening to the children, we're making these individualized plans for them to help them to succeed. I'm just kind of curious because we talked about you being an administration and being a leader. What do you wish you would have known then that, you know, now in working in this position? What do you think could have made you a better leader or even a better teacher thinking way back to when you were in international schools? I think
1: that, I mean, so much of what I'm doing now and the way I'm approaching my work now has come from the experiences I've had. And I think I'm quite blessed to have experiences that cross cultural boundaries, that I've worked with many different children out of different circumstances and who who have been chronically ill, who... Or who have endured trauma in their life and trying to figure out as I go, what do we need to be doing in order to help support these children? And kind of learning and responding by the seat of my pants because I didn't have, you know, I haven't had all of that training. Right. So, you know, thinking about being here in this present moment now, I think so much of what I'm doing or how I'm responding has come from my work as a teacher or my work as an administrator back to learning how to really listen to people, learning how to take in that individual and determine quite quickly what needs to be put in place in order to support this child in a classroom or in a school or at home or whatever. But I think something that I've always been critical that we teach in an academic situation every day, but we are sometimes the last people who want to learn. You know, we think we know it all. I've always noticed that like sometimes we as teachers as administrators we're not oh we'll do professional development Mm -hmm. but what are our attitudes going into that professional development what are our attitudes going into the classroom every day when we have parent teacher conferences are we hungry to learn more are we doing it just you know in an obligatory fashion Mm -hmm. or manner or because I have to go to this professional development here Mm -hmm. I am rather than taking a more proactive or active approach saying I want to learn more so what I've learned here which I would just love to take a magic wand over education is to say, let's, let's learn, truly learn from other disciplines. You know, for me, when I have stretched myself so that I'm working with alongside doctors, nurses, social workers, hospital teachers, all of the support team, it has caused me to look at these kids. And I know my position here has caused my larger team to look at children in a different way or what their families are mm-hmm. facing. And so I wish that we we could stretch ourselves out more and learn from a
0: more multidisciplinary yeah. approach to teaching our kids in school. That makes sense to me. And I think, you know, when we think about what school is, and I have a question for you concerning this later, but when we think about what school is, I think we're so quick to say it's a teacher, it's a principal, it's a guidance counselor, it's what we traditionally view school as. Mm -hmm. But I think if we think about students we have to think not only about where they are from eight to three, but Mm -hmm. where do they go after that? They have parents, they have, you know, babysitters, or they go to daycare or whatever. We have to look at who all is in their life. It has to be wholesome. We have to think about the whole child. That's right. And I think that that's a really good point that you make about being multidisciplinary Mm -hmm. in how we're serving kids and how we're helping kids. So we talked a little bit about this, but your current position, how are you using SEL or even empathy too, I think would be a huge part of this. But what are some ways that your, Seeing these things work in your day to day here at Riley. I can't do this job without being empathetic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I
1: probably cry on a daily basis. And it was interesting when I first came here, and I'm yeah. I'm an emotionally expressive person, which I am okay with. Mm-hmm. I've had people over the years say, "Oh, Donnie, you need to get thick skin." No, I don't want thick skin. I need to manage, you know, my emotions, and that's a social emotional right. emotional skill. Right. Yeah. But I find I don't want to put up a shield. I don't want to protect myself from the emotion or the uh, situation, painful situations of others. I do not want to separate myself. And so to remain vulnerable and open no matter what the pain is, because it, there's plenty. Oh, yeah, I feel that what that constant choice is that I make daily to be able to absorb the, the whole family, the whole child, what they're suffering, to, to understand in what way can I serve this family? In what way can my role here help them into their future? And so if I'm not empathetic, I think I will miss a whole lot, there's ways that that child will never be heard or seen or helped. And I want to use my life.
0: Yeah. I want
1: my life to count. Right. And so to me in this situation, it has to be a, completely empathetic and compassionate. That's how I have to live out of empathy yes, and compassion yeah. or else I'm not going to connect deeply mm-hmm. and purposefully and then be able to help that right. family move right. on.
0: Because when we have those barriers up of, I want to help you, but if you're not invested empathetically, I think a kids are going to see right through that. Mm-hmm. They're going to know that you don't really mm-hmm. maybe care as much as they want you to. Mm-hmm. And I think also with that, like to show them like I can be vulnerable here's me modeling that for you. So if I can do this, if I can just come in here and listen Mm -hmm. and care deeply, then they can start to do that too. They can Mm -hmm. see what that looks like. That's right. That's right. And kids do, they see it. Mm -hmm. And you know, too,
1: when they come in here, this is a scary place. Come into a clinic room upstairs, you're going to start seeing doctors. Are they going to tell me I've got cancer again? You know, it's an anxiety producing place. And so To be able to know that, so when you walk into a room, to try to
0: diminish that or help Mm -hmm. to clear that out, if at all possible. I want to do that. Absolutely, and I think it's so funny, too, how you're saying about how you need to be empathetic in this job to connect with kids, and I think that that's something that's maybe true of good teachers, teachers yes, that kids remember and kids yep. love. Yep. It's that they are not afraid to sit with them in the hard moments. And right. They're not, you know, those kids rely on really good teachers to turn to when they're having a bad day that's or right. when something's going on at home. Mm-hmm. I think that's just true of the education profession. If you're going to be a memorable Solid teacher, Mm -hmm. you're going to be somebody who's empathetic and loving and who really cares about kids.
1: You know, it's interesting that you say that because one of my questions for almost every kid, unless they're really little, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're in preschool or kindergarten, I might not, I might not, maybe even first grade, starting with second grade and upward, I might say, Do you have a teacher that you love at school and that you know loves you? I think since I've been here and I ask that question all the time, I've had one child say, I don't know any teacher that I love or who loves me. One child. Wow. Most of them say, yes, I can name one. And it might not even be a current teacher that they have. It might right. be somebody that, that's mm-hmm. just working in the building somewhere, mm-hmm. but they've connected to. So they know that child knows that's a trusted person. And yeah. they somehow they love me and I feel safe yeah. with them.
0: It's so funny. I'm in a class right now. It's like middle school methods. So Uh learning how to teach middle schoolers and the professor for the class said, okay, we're going to go around the room and everybody's going to say their favorite teacher. And it's so funny because when it got to me, I found myself talking about my kindergarten teacher. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm 21. So that was, you know, so many years ago, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, but I still remember her and she's mm-hmm. still my favorite teacher. Mm-hmm. So it's just so, I think, powerful, the impact teachers can have That's that right. here I am in college and I still think about my kindergarten teacher. That's it's right. just, it's powerful. Yeah, Kids it need is. that connection. they do. So thinking about SEL and empathy and all these things, what do you think is probably the most influential aspect of that whole child education and using SEL? What is like, what do you think is, is the thing that you need to have this or this maybe isn't gonna be so successful? I think that- and I you know, the more
1: that I read, the more I see that teachers and administrators are understanding the the necessity of implementing a social emotional program or making sure that they're aware of the implications of and the dynamics that social emotional learning plays in a child's learning. Yeah. So I think that the fact that children do learn socially, learning mm-hmm. is social as well as emotional and the impact. And two, something else that I've seen since I've been here, something new with this job, is to realize the whole development of the frontal lobe, you know, executive functioning. Yes. Okay. And I've really seen it come to play here because so many of our kids' brain tumors or with the chemotherapy that they go through or radiation, there's some damage to that or permanent consequences. We call late effects. Okay. You know, so they... To be able to um, regulate their emotions or to be be organized or to be able to plan their time or set goals or persevere. Some of those have to be relearned. They don't know how to do that anymore. And so I'm thinking it's so fundamental. We used to do that. I did that as a teacher. Yes. I know how to go back and again it's a connection of the social emotional piece has to be there for the learning to take root yes. and to be strong. Yes. And then, you know, I can work then with the child. Even from my vantage you know, from right. here which I might see a child once a month or I might call them and check up out on how they're doing, but being able to help them identify an area of their life that you know they're struggling with and, and through a social-emotional mm-hmm. interaction yeah. or depending on that to be able to strengthen their... For, can I give you one example? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> I have a young lady who is a leukemia survivor and she graduated from high school last year and she enrolled in Ivy Tech did not go. And so, so this year I've been following her. I think she comes in maybe every three months. And so I've been following her saying, okay, why, you know, why didn't you go? Well, I think I, I just need to work. But as I developed this relationship, she started to say, I'm afraid. I don't know that I can do the work. I don't know if I can perform or if I can, what if I go to class and I fail? And so every time she comes in, we talk it through. So she said, okay, I'm going to go back, re-enroll. She just did it for this coming fall. So then I said, now you need to go to the office of student disabilities, where, say, here's the combinations I need. You know, a person who has suffered, you know, with um, cancer and cancer treatments, and I have late effects. We've been doing this through texting. Okay. She says, I don't even know what to say. So. Number one, dial the phone, two, call, introduce yourself. I had to actually set out Mm -hmm. the conversation because she didn't know how to do it. But for her to be able to tell me that, I rejoiced. I mean, it makes me sad that she's Mm -hmm. there, but that she told me that she's having this Mm -hmm. difficulty. And I was able to say, okay, this is a skill you can build. You can learn how to do this. But it was through relationship. Mm it's through the connection Mm -hmm. and her feeling safe enough to say, I'm afraid. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So I think that social emotional connections, the building through that is what life is all about. And our learning and our future and our
0: performance and what we do with our lives is every way connected. I mean, it's part of who we are as human oh, yeah. being. The takeaway from that is just if you don't have the relationships, yeah. you're not going to grow and neither are the kids. Right. The relationships are the crux of it.
1: Well, and, and two, the relationships sometimes are the catalyst to bring out mm-hmm. something that's holding you back that you yeah. might not even know. She might have just gone on and just continued to work at something, really always wanting to go back to school because she wants to be a vet tech, but afraid because she couldn't make a phone call. And so it just took someone for her to say that Mm -hmm. for her then to begin to make the steps to do it. So, again, it's back to listening to kids, Mm -hmm. making them feel safe and comfortable with who they are. And, yeah, you can. This is hard. It's a hard thing, but you can do it.
0: in inner city nashville working with kids from low-income areas and it's so funny that you said that you can do it because Mm -hmm. we would have like posters on the walls when they would walk because a lot of them had that trauma and that Mm -hmm. self-esteem issue Mm -hmm. and we would have posters that say i can do difficult things Mm -hmm. on them so when you brought that up that just made me think of that and how you know for a lot of kids it's just they don't know that they don't know that they can't do things that they haven't tried before that's right because so much of it is that fear of well what if i fail yeah and what happens if I'm not good at it or what happens if people make fun of me? It's mm-hmm. so much of that is the confidence building and somebody being there to reassure them and say, you know what, even if you don't do well, you can try it again or we can come up with a new plan. That's right. Just having that support, I think, is huge. That's right. And back to in a, working that out in a school. If
1: you have a supportive community classroom, kids are going to feel fine failing or raising their hand and getting, you know, giving the wrong Mm -hmm. answer because nobody's going to laugh at me because we're all in here learning. We're all trying. Right. We're all in different places in our life. We think differently. And I take a little bit longer thinking. You think really fast. Yeah. But you know that about each other. You respect it. And therefore comes encouragement that everybody grows. So I think building a classroom community based on those very important
0: social-emotional components, mm-hmm. nobody's stymied, nobody, they'll all grow. So think talking about, you know, building this classroom community and, you know, encouraging kids to grow and to try things, what is a helpful resource or tool that you might have for teachers or parents or even for kids themselves in regards to building that SEL kind of relationship mm-hmm. or community? Well, I think that, you know, hopefully school should be
1: or have implemented some sort of social emotional program. And there's many out there, you know, many out there. But some resources that I'm using to help me maybe understand the neuroscience underlying that and to just help me understand where our kids are here because I'm not in a classroom anymore. I'm right. not in a school, but I'm in a number of schools Mm -hmm. and um, interacting with a number of people. So therefore I look up a lot of resources. And a few that I've come up with, I mean, Edutopia, you know. Right. Okay, and they have this wonderful video. Have you seen the video series they have? I I want to say, I believe it's on, is it on Social Emotional or is it on Neuroscience? There's like yes. 20. I have a ton of those linked to my website okay. on Social Emotional Learning, yes. And they're it's short too, clips. Right. They and are. they're
0: wonderful, yes. Yeah.
1: So I would tell teachers, everybody should yeah. be, mm-hmm. you know, schools should be watching that. The um, website Understood. Understood.org. Is yes. that the one? Yes. I find all kinds of great information on that for families, for children, for teachers, okay. for myself. And then the Center on the Development of Children, Harvard, wonderful. Okay. So I, I mean, I've, I have found it to be a great resource for me in my own learning. And um, they do some wonderful research, but it's a great tool. If you're not aware of that one, you want to get on And again, they're talking a lot about the neuroscience underlying and, you know, what's really happening in our brains and why sometimes emotions are, why our frontal lobe can't manage our life or our emotions because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're stuck here. And, you know, freeze. Yeah. Flight. Or-
0: oh, yeah. We used to talk about like when teaching it to kids, like you have your inner brain and your outer brain. Yes. And sometimes your actual thinking part isn't working because your emotions have run rampant. Exactly. So we would call it like flipping your lid. Like, yes. And they they would all sit there when they would get angry and they would flip their hand up and yeah. down because they're like, I can't do it and I need to go. So I think part of that is when you teach kids those simple tricks like That's that. Right. They can use them, and then when they need to go or they yeah. need to regulate, it's as simple as saying, okay, step out into the hallway, or you yeah. can go over here. and A social emotional one-on-one, like, being aware
1: of mm-hmm. your emotions and teaching yes. them that awareness so then they, they can begin to regulate. Yeah. I mean, it's just,
0: it's perfect. So It, is. it yeah. is, that's awesome. Such great resources. Okay, so that's the last of our regular questions. And every episode of the podcast, we end with three rapid fire questions that are just kind of getting to know about you. So I was talking to Dr. Klein, who was my guest last week, and he was saying, kind of giving me some insight onto like who you were and things that you would be like interested in talking about. And he said, that you talk a lot about like schools and what schools should look like. And he said, you know, it'd be really cool if you asked her if she could reimagine what school is, what would it be? And he said, looking at it from like a holistic standpoint, So if you could reimagine school, what would it be? <laughs> when, you, when
1: I got that one, I just went, oh my word, how do I take all these things that I've been thinking and try to succinctly, describe it succinctly. I don't know that I can, except though that it would be individualized as much as possible, that it would be whole person. We cannot leave anything at the door and expect a child to come in without them bringing their whole selves and understanding that. And then you think about all the teaching and the training that needs to go on just for those two points, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, that's just like explodes into a whole other realm. Making it multidisciplinary. So it's it you have your teachers there who are teaching skills as we've been trained in, but you're also bringing in members from the community to help, you know, or project-based work, our problem-based work. Helping because kids, and I think what I'm looking at, is more their future. And what our children are, the future that they're going into is not what my future look like, or even my own children, Um, my grandchildren, looking at the kind of life that they're going to live, we have to be so aware of the kind of skills and not be so stuck in skills that are not needed. Mm-hmm. Or why, why are we doing this? I think that if schools say, why are we doing this? Why, what's the purpose of this? And we're asking those questions all the time and thinking, trying to imagine the whole thing about imagination is a tool that we're not utilizing enough. So imagine, which also helps with empathy. So yes. it's got to be, um, you know, we as the teachers now, as those who are helping to facilitate the future of our children, mm-hmm. have to imagine what their future is going to be like and make sure that what we're doing today is going to help them tomorrow or give them the confidence or the curiosity or the the strength or the ability to risk take and to communicate, however that looks, yeah. so that they can go on and do what they need to do and but stop teaching things that are not necessary. So just having a really critical look at ourselves
0: and what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So So, we talked about your travels and your international um, visits. And I just am kind of curious of this because I also am huge into traveling and I want to do a lot of it. So what's your favorite place you've ever traveled to and what's the most unusual food you've ever eaten well, when you've food, been traveling? The food one's the easiest, <laughs> you know, because I've eaten some weird
1: food. Uh, ants, nice, big, big ants from okay. a nest in the forest. When the, we were in a village, they had no food. They had no lights, no electricity, and it was dark. And they said, oh, we went out and we we found a nest of ants. And so we cooked it for you, thinking that, I mean, so proud that they've made this dish yeah. for us. And then there's no light, so you can't see what you're eating. But they've served it on rice. And I can remember tasting it. You know, I can feel Something weird, but the taste was like a lemony. Oh. It was almost like a lemony taste. And I finished my food. I mean, it was hard to get down, but I finished it, and they always offer you more. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm full. I can't eat anymore. And then the person I'm with shined her flashlight on the food, and I'm telling you, I was... (laughs) <laughs> I almost fainted to think that I had just eaten that, but you know, I did it. It was down. I was. It was over. But my favorite place in the world, I don't know. I think it's it's wherever I am yeah. and the people I'm with. Yeah. And I because I thought about that question, I said I don't know because when I'm in Singapore and I'm with my friends there, it's my most favorite place. Yeah. When I'm in Indonesia and I'm with all of the those Indonesians there, that's my favorite place. Yeah. So I guess it's it's mostly the company.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah it's
1: not so much the surrounding, it's the people that I'm with.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. Okay, so final question. What's one book, SEL related or not, that you think educators should be reading? Okay, this was really hard for me because (laughs) I thought
1: and thought and thought through this question. And I didn't I don't ever want to say there's one book that we all should read. We've all read different things, we all have different interests. But I think that it should be a book that challenges us. Mm -hmm. Okay. So whatever that book would be that challenges me as an educator, that's what I think I should read. So not something that, oh, I want to read this because this is in line with what I always read. Mm -hmm. But I want to read something that's going to challenge my thinking, my practice, my approach. So that was it. And then I just I thought because I've read a lot of Peg Dawson and Yeah, Peg Dawson and Richard Guerre. Uh, smart but scattered, executive functioning stuff. Yeah. that's kind of where I am right mm-hmm. now. Uh, so that I just offer that out if yeah. somebody's interested in. Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm sure their that work. that's something that's super helpful, especially in line with SEL and thinking about helping kids develop that. Oh my gosh, yes. All right, well that concludes today's episode. Donna, thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. It's yes. been a pleasure talking. <laughs> yeah, and we are going to go ahead and cut it off there. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time.